trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. Let's uh, let's get things underway. It is time to revel in wrong think. Only because there's so much pushing against us that tells us you must conform. You must embrace the group think. You know, there may be some places where the group gets it right, but generally speaking, well, let's just say the uh, the M in masses is silent and usually the masses don't get it right. They they are easily misled. Doesn't make us better than anybody else. It just means you have to recognize the value of thinking clearly and independently. By the way, that will not make you very popular. You will not be the life of the party, but uh, you will have a clear conscience. And sometimes I think that's actually a little more important than some of the other considerations. So I've been looking for some good news because I, I know how easy it is to fall into the trap of simply complaining. And I, as, as I have stated many times on this program, I'd rather that you're much more sure of what I stand for than simply what I'm against or, you know, who I'm against. I, uh, I, I've lived that portion of my life where I was an enemy-driven, fear-driven individual. I didn't like it. And I don't encourage my listeners to, to be enemy-driven. You know, in terms of, of how you see the world, that is, uh, that's, it's one of the least sophisticated ways of seeing it. And I don't mean that in the sense that you need to be hoity-toity and, you know, walk around with a glass of wine in your hand and, you know, some enlightened opinion. It's just, it's, it's primitive, borderline barbaric. People who tend to be enemy-driven tend to um, see things through a very, very narrow filter and, uh, and, you know, treat people like objects rather than see them as people. They tend to like to uh, they, they gravitate towards things like identity politics. Because, uh, you know, whether or not I can take you seriously depends on what group do I perceive you to be a part of. To some people, that really matters. I learned a long time ago, the only two classifications of humanity that really matter are, is this person being decent or are they being indecent? And that's something you tell by their behavior. You don't know their heart. I don't know their heart. But by a person's behavior, you can get a pretty good feel of where they stand in terms of are they decent or are they indecent. But even then, I'm not looking for reasons so I can go around and apply labels. It doesn't make me happy. You know what does make me happy? People who have found purpose in their lives. People who say, I figured out something that is mine to do. It's my mission. It's my purpose. It's, it's, what I'm, it's what I was born to do. That's the kind of stuff that makes me happy. So I'm going to try to spend a little less time complaining today and a little more time looking for the good. Although I, I may have to take a roundabout way to get there, and I hope you'll bear with me if, if I start to go off into the weeds and, and get a little bit complainy. For instance, I have a great article here in front of me. This is from J.D. Tusseel. And it actually makes me kind of happy, even though the headline is Americans are in full revolt against pandemic lockdowns. 
Now, you can probably guess why that would put a smile on my face. I'm just grateful to see that there are people who are finally recognizing I have limits as to how much absurdity I'm willing to embrace. And that's not to say that every precaution that a person takes is absurd. But can we at least agree that there are some people who are taking this to great extremes? Looking at uh, Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, shutting down so many businesses, forcing elderly people into nursing homes with COVID. I mean, the guy is, is up for an Emmy. He's been nominated for an Emmy because of his bold and decisive leadership. He's got a lot of people's lives on his hands, as in he is responsible for their deaths. And in the bizarre world that we happen to be inhabiting this year, that's supposed to, supposedly a good thing. It shows leadership. It shows he's, he's doing something. I saw a quote earlier this week, and I'm going to have to kind of paraphrase this, but essentially, um, New York City has shut down so many restaurants that uh, I think it was 60% of them will never reopen their, their doors again. They, they can't. It's become impossible to earn a living. And, uh, you know, Cuomo's all about, well, we've got to lock him down even harder. We've got to lock it down further. And he actually went on the air with an interview talking about how, oh, no, wait, I'm sorry, it was an editorial. My apologies. He, he wrote an editorial telling New Yorkers, you should be grateful that I've done this. It's kind of like the, the talk your dad may have had with you after you got your butt paddled for doing something wrong. Well, I'm sorry I had to do this, but uh, it had to be done. And someday you're going to thank me for paddling your butt. Except in this case, it wasn't a butt paddling. It was a destruction of people's livelihoods. And it's, it's not even a let them eat cake moment so much as a let them be thankful for the crumbs that I'm allowing them to have. Now, I understand there are some people who are fearful enough that they'd be like, well, no, he really did do the right thing. And I think that was good. Even if some people, you know, lost their livelihoods along the way, that's the price we have to pay in order to be safe. I get it. There are some people who feel that way. Typically, they're not the people whose livelihood has just been destroyed. So it does make me happy to see individually and in organized groups, people are beginning to push back against lockdown orders. The article from J.D. Tusil from Reason.com says, Echoing New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio warned city residents this week to prepare for a full shutdown as part of ongoing efforts to slow the spread of COVID-19. By the way, as a quick aside, nobody has shut down harder and more drastically than California. Would you care to guess where the number of COVID infections and deaths are at their absolute highest? If you said California, give yourself a gold star. Now, that's not something to celebrate. But it is definitely something to look at and go, huh, isn't that interesting? The harder they lock it down, the less good it seems to do. All I'm asking you to consider is maybe those lockdowns aren't the panacea that some people in power are telling us that they are. Back to New York. J.D. Tusil says the two elected officials better not hold their breath waiting for compliance as they tell people to prepare for that full shutdown. Evidence from around the country shows that many Americans are thoroughly sick of impoverishing, socially isolating lockdown orders and are revolting against the often hypocritical politicians who issue them. Mayor de Blasio told interviewers on December 14th, the governor said in a New York Times interview over the weekend that we should prepare for the possibility of a full shutdown. I agree with that. 
We need to recognize that that may be coming, and we've got to get ready for that now because we cannot let this virus keep growing. (laughs) As if the virus is going to respond to their dictates. Now, the mayor commented following Cuomo's ban on indoor dining at a New York's at New York City restaurants that was issued a week after Staten Island residents cheered bar owner Daniel Presti, who was arrested for defying pandemic restrictions. Days later, Presti ran his car into a sheriff's deputy who sought to rearrest him for continuing to serve patrons. Both of the deputies legs were broken. Now, while Presti's level of violent resistance against lockdowns is much too extreme, he is not alone in his opposition. From coast to coast, businesses and individuals are ignoring restrictive rules that threaten their livelihoods, stifle social contact, and threaten to strangle the necessary interactions of everyday life. Another shutdown just isn't an option for us, the Seven Sirens Brewing Company of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania announced last week on its Facebook page. We and thousands of others of small businesses throughout the country will simply not survive. After speaking with our bank, staff members, families, attorneys, and local government officials, we have decided we will not comply with future shutdown mandates. We will continue to operate with the same proven safe measures we implemented five months ago. Now, the brewery is one of of many businesses listed by Pennsylvania opening businesses defying the governor, which now has over 43,000 members on Facebook. That group encourages the public to patronize anybody who bucks state rules to continue offering goods and services to willing customers. The Morning Call newspaper noted uh, regarding public response to such stories, many readers side with businesses that stay open in defiance of Pennsylvania's coronavirus shutdown orders. By the way, the Reopen Minnesota Coalition similarly represents hundreds of businesses defying closure orders and actually raises money for legal defense against state enforcement actions. Not a bad idea. The last nine months have needlessly put small business owners and their employees in the regrettable position of watching their dreams evaporate before their eyes and their families go without the basic necessities. The group commented this week on the effect of those pandemic lockdowns. By the way, they're calling for stripping Governor Tom Waltz of his emergency powers and for ignoring restrictions so that people can decide for themselves when and how to interact. Now, if you're still one of those people who believes, hey, but the government knows what's best for us. It's only acting in our best interest. Please stay tuned. I'm not saying that I'm going to try to shake your faith in government, but I hope to give you at least a few reasons to question whether reality aligns with that point of view. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing with you an article from J.D. Tusil. This is from Reason.com about how people are getting fed up. The, uh, the opposition is solidifying in many places where Americans are in revolt against pandemic lockdowns. I know that horrifies some people. I know it makes some people think, well, how could they be so stupid? How could they be so selfish? And I'm not saying you're not entitled to that point of view, but I, it's my opinion you may be missing the bigger picture here. And that is a lot of these people who are justifiably upset are people who have skin in the game. They have businesses that are being lost, livelihoods that are being destroyed. 
Anybody who has had, had an elderly family member die in loneliness is going to have some pretty strong feelings about how, well, we had to do it all for the sake of safety. And, and, I, and I just ask you to remember, this virus may be real, and there may be people getting sick and having to deal with it, but the survival rate, if you are under 70 years of age and don't have a lot of serious comorbidities like diabetes or heart disease, you're still looking at a 99.5% survival rate. Is it possible that maybe we're just scaring ourselves to death or allowing people to play upon our fears to stampede us into the arms of greater and greater government control? Interestingly enough, on the West Coast, there are a lot of restaurants that are also finding the courage to open their doors to consumers, despite state orders to the contrary. ABC News reported last week, while some of the larger chains and corporations are following orders, many of the mom and pop shops say going to takeout only would put them out of business. So the city council in Solvang, that's a tourism-fueled community in Santa Barbara County, recently voted to ignore shutdown orders that threaten locals' livelihoods. Officials directed that the city of Solvang will not actively enforce these latest state shutdown orders and that the city requests the county and state regulators to prioritize education and that they also not enforce the orders within the city limits. That's according to a letter from Mayor Ryan Toussaint. Now, none of this should be a surprise. Small businesses have taken it in the teeth from restrictions that cut them off from customers and cash. Data gathered by Yelp shows that many of them are, are closing permanently. Restaurants, which traditionally have tight profit margins to start with, have been especially hard hit. The Minneapolis Star Tribune reported this week, many of those in the Twin Cities and greater Minnesota restaurant industry have told the Star Tribune that they feel they may never recover. As of today, 17% of restaurants, more than 11, more than 110,000 establishments rather, are closed permanently or long term as a result of this year's economic distress. That's from the National Restaurant Association, something they announced back on December 7th. Fatigue with the lockdown orders was predicted by experts months ago and voiced by the public in growing numbers. Britain's Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, or SAGE, cautioned back in June, renewed restrictions were likely to be met by silent compliance, critical compliance, or visible resistance. Meanwhile, Gallup reported last month, Americans are far less willing to comply with shelter-in-place advice today than they were in the early weeks of the coronavirus pandemic this spring. 49% say they would be very likely to stay home for a month if public health officials recommended it due to a serious outbreak of the virus in their community. This contrasts with solid majorities in the spring who said they were likely to comply with such shelter-in-place advice, including a high of 67% back in late March, early April. By the way, the article also says politicians actively fanned the flames of resistance with their rules or only for the little people flouting of their own orders. Amidst a flurry of high-profile examples, California Governor Gavin Newsom's expensive gathering with other officials at the French Laundry stands out for its arrogance. Why should regular people driven to the brink of poverty and despair pay any attention to the dictates of such creatures? In distress and after due consideration, J.D. Tussil says many Americans have decided they shouldn't comply. Individually and in organized groups, often with the support of their communities, people are pushing back against lockdown orders that they find more threatening than COVID-19. Mayor de Blasio, Cuomo, and their colleagues near and far may loudly announce new restrictions on life, but they're going to find ever-shrinking ranks willing to listen. I'm encouraged. 
rather than horrified. Maybe that makes me a monster. I don't know. Let's go to the phone, 801-331-8113. Caller, welcome to the show. Under martial law. Say that again? I said it's, it appears we're already under martial law. Yeah, some areas are acting like it. California, particularly, those lockdowns. Holy cow. Yeah, it's, uh, and, and not to mention, we have no true election in this country. I mean, we're we're there. I mean, yeah. between all the mandates, I was just up at the hospital, and uh, only one visitor per day. No switching them out to see somebody. That's crazy. Yeah, no argument here. And, and all the poli- all the healthcare workers are happy little hunky dories. They're all getting their paychecks. Whether you're working the door, sitting in the. Uh, Guard shack, whatever you're doing. Yeah, I think we're already there, buddy. We're already there without a good result. And uh, I swear I wish this president would start getting these people and round them up with the military. Because this is uh, everything they're doing to us right now is completely unconstitutional. I think that that would be taking pretty much the same approach that Abraham Lincoln took, though, back in 1861. It would end up destroying what remains of the republic. Well, I can tell you there's not much left of the republic after what I've seen in the last 10 years. It just seems to me, I mean, I listen to your show and I see all the different things you talk about, you know, anywhere from discrimination to, you know, overreach of the government. And I mean, over the last 10 years, we've just, we've lost. We keep losing it little by little, one more notch in the belt. By the way, I have some really useful information you're going to love in the next hour of my show or in the other hour. Um, You'll have to access it on podcast, but uh, I I talk about uh, how to make a bribe. Information I hope we don't ever have to use, but uh, but some really really good advice from Daisy Luther how to take how to how to make a bribe without getting yourself arrested. To, to an, a, an official. It, it, it is. It, 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 it seems to me like government just wants to do it. They just want to collect a paycheck and not do any work anymore. I mean, that's that's what I'm experiencing over and over, like from one realm of government to the other. And it, it's, it's getting out of hand. I mean, it's, it's come to the point where it's unsustainable. It's way past that point, I guess. Anyway, take care. I just, uh, I, I just want to say, I think, I think we're already under, under martial law. In some ways, I could definitely see that. Rob, thanks for the call. Eight zero one three three one eighty one thirteen. I know. I, I got a text from a friend a couple of days ago saying, "Hey, there are some former generals that are talking about maybe it's time for Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act and to declare martial law." And I just want to, I'll put my cards on the table here. I do think that there was some really widespread fraud. I think that the system, uh, I think the system can be gamed any time, you know, in the sense that your choices of candidates are usually limited to where, look, you can choose uh, from socialist candidate A or socialist candidate B, and and really nothing much is going to change. The focus is either going to be on foreign adventurism or domestic adventurism. But, you know, the, the, the bottom line is liberty Individual liberty shrinks, collectivist bondage expands, you know, on on many different levels. 
but this is the first time I've ever seen something as openly questionable as, you know, the boxes of of the unfolded ballots and the, the thousands of sworn affidavits. I'm not saying that I know this is absolute proof the election was stolen from Trump because I don't. I haven't I haven't I haven't vetted that uh, that evidence, but I think there's enough there's enough questionable stuff that uh, that it deserves to be heard. Because if we have lost, you know, the last peaceful way of affecting change or holding government accountable, yeah, we've, we've got a real problem. And I don't think declaring martial law is, is going to solve it. I don't know where that leaves us. I think we're, we're actually being set up to where violence is the only way that something's going to happen. And I'm not sure it's going to solve the problem so much as make it worse. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. 801-331-8113 if you'd like to join the conversation. Okay, so I want to share some good news with you here. This is, this is good news in that government did something right. I know, I'm going to let you sit down and, and let, help you have a chair close by. Brian said government something, did something right. Yeah, actually, this is from Daniel J. Mitchell. And it's it's from his WordPress blog account here. Another initiative to improve the quality of life from the Trump administration. Now, look, he's not a water carrier for Trump. But I love that he calls uh, something good when he sees it here. He says, even though I don't, even though I agree with the nanny state crowd on a few issues, for instance, sugary soda and cigarettes are not healthy, for instance. He says, I oppose their efforts to impose their preferences using government coercion, especially when their initiatives lower our quality of life. This is how we end up with things like inferior light bulbs or substandard toilets or inadequate washing machines or dribbling showers or dysfunctional gas cans, crummy dishwashers. You've noticed these things lately? Okay. He says, call me crazy, but he says, I don't like having to flush a toilet more than once. And I really don't like modern gas cans that spill gas all over the place as I'm trying to refill a hot lawnmower. Immolation doesn't seem like it would be a pleasant experience. But he says, what's really annoying is going to a hotel that's installed low-flow shower heads or visiting with someone who has that type of shower head in their home. At the very least, it means you will spend at least twice as much time as normal to get clean. Well, we have a bit of good news. The Trump administration wants consumers to have the option of enjoying better showers. Here are some excerpts of a CNN story from Sam Fossum and Paul LeBlanc. Quote, The U.S. Department of Energy on Tuesday finalized a pair of new rules rolling back water efficiency standards on showerheads. The showerhead rule goes after the two and a half gallon per minute maximum flow rate set by Congress in the 1990s. Under current federal law, each showerhead in a fixture counts toward that limit collectively. But the Energy Department's new rule means each showerhead individually can reach the limit set by Congress. Today, the Trump administration affirmed its commitment to reducing regulatory burdens and safeguarding consumer choice, Secretary of Energy Dan Brulat said in a statement. With these rule changes, Americans can choose products that are best suited to meet their individual needs and the needs of their families. The rollbacks were quickly rebuked by environmental advocates and consumer and appliance standards groups. Busybodies, in other words. (laughs) Dan Mitchell says, if I understand correctly, we'd still have inadequate showerheads, but we'll be allowed to have showers that use more than one of them. 
Not the ideal outcome, to be sure, but better than the status quo. But he says, don't get too excited because it's very likely the incoming Biden administration will propose and then adopt a new regulation to overturn what just happened. So refurbish your shower now while the opportunity exists. Or if you live in a grandfathered home that still has decent amenities, don't sell. (laughs) The things we have to do to exercise our personal liberty. Inconvenient? Yeah, maybe sometimes. Is it worth it? I'd say so. Let's go back to the phone. Caller, welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with Rob. We uh, we already live uh, under martial law. In fact, we don't we don't live in a republic either. Because I'm I'm going through the court system. Do you know who makes the laws in Utah or the rules of procedure uh, in the judicial branch? I don't. The judiciary. Chief Justice Matthew Durant makes the rules. Now, they they, uh, changed the Constitution in 1985 to do this, okay? The other thing is, and so they make up the rules every day, what's going on. The other thing that's been suspended, and it's been suspended since 1966, that means we're under war, is habeas corpus. It doesn't exist. It exists on paper, but on the paper, one is, as of 1966 is called the Post-Conviction Remedy Act. That means that you've got to be convicted first before you do this procedure. Hmm. There is other habeas corpuses out there, and that's the real ones as soon as the handcuffs come on. So now as soon as the handcuffs come on... Uh, you have the right to rid of habeas corpus, and you'd be demanded to be brought in front of a judge. And so so now that they're suspending all these uh, jury trials and everything to who knows how long, you no longer have the right to speedy trial. So what I'm getting to say is all these little dictators that are making up these rules is usurp these different branches of government and you usurp their their boundaries in the in the cities, counties, and states by making up all these mandates and going around legislation. It's very very simple. But the only way it could be taken care of, or what you say, you know, standing in court, is to let them put the handcuffs on, demand to be, you know, arrested, and not only booked in. You know, as soon as they start filling up these jails with mask violators or trespassers or whatever they figure they can get you for when they, you know, call the mask police. Right. You know, they've got they've got to charge you something. No, I, I, I agree. It's and, and it, to, to find people who are willing to stand up and be the ones to be that test case. It's a tough call. Nobody wants to be the one in handcuffs going into jail and and standing up. Um, I don't know if you, if you're familiar with it, but uh, there's there's a podcast that uh, you can catch called uh, Court Interpreters. Now this is kind of shameless because I'm one of the co-hosts, but my friend Gary Welch co-hosts this, and it's brought to you by Integra Law. And every Wednesday at noon, you can catch that on K Talk, and it's uh, we we talk about cases like this and talk about how some people, you know, those who are willing to to go through it you know sometimes get a favorable outcome but it's but it's asking a lot anyway thank you for your call all right how many of us have heard someone say 2020 is the worst year ever i mean it's kind of a 
an unspoken piece of conventional wisdom. And I think we've all jokingly said it. Oh, this is the worst year ever. I mean, one of the funniest commercials I've ever seen. I just encountered last week where I was it match dot com or something like that. it was one of the, the online dating services uh, that that shows Satan and 2020 a match made in hell. You know, I mean, they, they were very happy, but it's it's brilliant parody. Funny, funny stuff. But was 2020 really the worst year ever? Art Carden from the American Institute for Economic Research says not even close. He says, I don't want to be premature about this, but I'll join the chorus of voices saying good riddance to 2020. It's fashionable in some circles, like the cover of Time, for example, to decry 2020 as the worst year ever. Well, 2020 has been pretty bad, but we can take comfort in the fact that it was not, by any stretch of anyone's imagination, the worst year ever. It, it, is, it isn't even close. And yes, that claim is borrowing from comic book guy on The Simpsons. Worst year ever. 2020 was still pretty much the best time ever to be alive, even in the face of a COVID pandemic that induced policymakers to wreck the global economy. COVID and the policy response are real shocks, meaning that output has fallen not because of a sudden reduction in spending growth in a world of sticky prices, but because of a a big decrease in productive capacity. Now, as many people have pointed out, though, he says it's kind of pointless to try to stimulate spending growth when there isn't much to spend on. So here are just a few years that were worse than 2020, just to put it in perspective. Any year in the 1300s, what Barbara Tuchman called the calamitous 14th century, saw plague and pestilence sweeping across Europe. In five years, Black Death wiped out an estimated 30 to 50 percent of Europe's population. Now, humans have adapted, but it was an utter cataclysm. And we'll adapt to COVID as well. Even without pathogens and pandemics, people have spilled others' blood by the gallon. And unfortunately, that's rarer than it used to be. By the way, any year in the 1800s, slavery was legal in the U.S. Over 600,000 men died in the U.S. Civil War. A long cholera pandemic was winding down, but another would break out in 1863. In 1854, a cholera outbreak took 5.5% of the people in Chicago. Something that killed 5.5% of those who live in Chicago today would claim about 150,000 lives. Then he says you also could consider any year in the 1900s. Now, comparing the 20th century to today is a little more ambiguous as the 1900s were pretty good for many people. But he says, I'll stand by it. Online learning, it turns out, has been something of a disaster for a lot of students and families. But imagine how much worse it would have been to try to go to online learning or a correspondence model to say nothing of working from home in the 1980s or 1990s. Now, there were deadly flu pandemics in the late 50s and late 60s. HIV, AIDS-related illnesses still kill some 690,000 people per year and claimed 32.7 million lives between the beginning of the pandemic and 2019. So he says it gets easier to be more sympathetic to 2020 the further we go into history. In the last 120 years, we've had two world wars, a Great Depression, the Holodomor, the Holocaust, proxy wars, mass murdering communist states. That simpler time people yearn for meant burying your children and everyone you love dying of tuberculosis or in warfare and not living long enough to worry about cancer or heart failure. Bottom line, the past is a nice place to visit, but you wouldn't want to live there. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. So what do you think? Is Art Carden right? Yeah, 2020 has been a hard year, but it's uh, it's not necessarily been the worst. I think sometimes some historical perspective is a good thing. And, and I'm not going to deny it. it's been a challenging year, I think, for all of us. And yet uh, I was having the conversation with someone earlier today um, that, that really stands out in my mind as far as we have all been given a really golden opportunity because of the hardships of this year. And I'm not one who really likes hardship. In fact, I, I don't like it at all. It's painful. <laughs> it's not much fun. But I learn more about myself during hard times, and I learn more about what I'm actually capable of and how much growth I am capable of when things are tough. And I suspect you're probably not so different from me. It's fun. I did a, I did a question on Facebook the other day, and I asked my friends on Facebook, what is the single moment of triumph that you could pick out from 2020. I know it's been a hard year, but if you had to pick one moment that for you was a time to celebrate, what would you say was your finest moment for this year? And the answers were very different. I mean, there were a ton of different uh, different responses. I mean, some of them were, you know, I got my greenhouse finished. Some of them were, I survived cancer. Others, you know, had to do with family. But it was a great lesson. Maybe I was the only one who really benefited from it because I I didn't even share what I thought was, you know, the finest moment of 2020. I'm not sure that it's arrived yet. I mean, come on, we've still got what? 12, 13 days left? (laughs) Okay, maybe, maybe not. Um, Bottom line is, though, good things did happen, even as bad things happened. And as Viktor Frankl, the author of uh, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, wrote about his experiences in the concentration camps of the Holocaust, that one place where we have control over our own destiny is how we choose to react to the circumstances around us. We don't always get to choose the circumstances. In fact, there's a lot that's out of our control. I can't imagine what it would be like finding yourself in a concentration camp. Well, he did. And as a psychologist, uh, maybe he was a psychiatrist, I can't remember, but uh, he made some observations that I think are extremely useful. I would highly recommend his book. If for no other reason, it'll make you appreciate just how piddling many of our problems are. I mean, we tend to exaggerate or make them bigger. And it's, it's not because, you know, they're, they're real. They, they suck. They're, they're not fun. But in the grand scheme of things, they're, they're probably kind of minor. All things considered, you wouldn't trade somebody. Well, I would take your place in the gulag, you know, in return for my problems. I remember talking with uh, some friends uh, when I lived in Oklahoma. They they were talking about an exercise that was done in a Sunday school class in which every person in the class was asked to just write anonymously on a piece of paper. What is the single hardest thing that you have ever had to deal with? And then they put the papers, you know, in a pile on the table. Everybody dropped their paper off. And the Sunday school teacher sat there and read each of those things. And I mean, there was a lot of different things. Some people dealing with drug addiction. Some people dealing with, um, you know, being sent to jail or to prison. The death of a child. 
you know, marital infidelity, uh, loss of a job, loss of a friendship, you know, life threatening illnesses. It was crazy, you know, and and some of them were much more minor. I'm worried because my car is, is a piece of crap and I can't reliably get to work. That's a very real problem. And at the moment, that may have been the most stressful thing on their mind. Here's the bottom line, though. After every one of those responses was read. The Sunday school teacher asked, how many of you would be willing to trade yours for somebody else's? Not one person in that classroom raised their hand. I always thought that was kind of an interesting object lesson. Yeah, it's hard. And there are parts of life that uh, that can be extremely difficult. But we learn something about ourselves. And there's a, there's another benefit. And I don't want, I hope I don't want to sound all Pollyanna-ish and like, well, and it's all sunshine and roses if you just whistle a happy tune because I know that uh, it's it's not that simple. But if I could just offer this observation, when those hard times come, in addition to the personal growth that you and I get to experience from going through hard things and teaching ourselves and learning, I can do this. I'm made of stronger stuff than I thought. That's one benefit. But I think the best benefit is when you go through those hard times, you may feel alone, but I promise you, if you look around you, People are there in your life who have been sent to that exact moment in your life to help bear you up and to help, if necessary, carry you through those most difficult times. I know that sounds like, you know, feel good. Well, where are they in my moment of need? And here's the kicker. You know where they are? They're probably the people that you push away when they reach out to you and ask, hey, how are you doing? And you just don't feel like talking because you're miserable. It can happen. One of those kind of friends is uh, a friend that I made when I lived in Oklahoma. Um, When I say that we clicked, and and I mean in the sense that she's like a sister to me, and I mean in, in the best possible sense, not like a sister who picked on me, although I love my sisters who picked on me, but uh, just like, a, like an older sister, a wiser sister, um, someone who I knew absolutely cared about me unconditionally. And there was a period in time where I was dealing with a few things, you know, probably top of the list was the fact my dad was dying of cancer. Um, not a pleasant experience for those who are, you know, on the outside watching that process take place. It can be a very drawn out agonizing thing to see. And I was going through a breakup. I had just recently broken up with my girlfriend, so I kind of felt you know, a little heartache on top of that. Uh, I was going through just some, some tough times and, and probably on top of it all, um, my faith in God had been shaken hard. And that was primarily due to um, this, this sense of anger and injustice over what I saw happening, you know, with, with my dad. I thought I just felt like it was really unfair that my parents, uh, you know, just when they reached that point in life where it looked like things might finally actually swing in their favor, boom, terminal illness. Oh, I was mad. And I was a pretty miserable guy. I feel bad. I, I feel like I should personally seek out the people who are around me and I should apologize to him because I was just not having a good time and I was not very pleasant to be around. 
And I'm sitting at work one night. I worked at the radio station. Thankfully, I worked alone, so I didn't have to inflict my misery on everybody else. But I'm lost in my work. I'm doing my thing. And out of the blue, the phone rings there at the station. And I answer it. And it's my friend. It's my sister from Oklahoma. And all she said was, little brother, how come I can't get you off my mind today? Now, I know people might accuse me, Brian, you're reading more into this than there is. There's, you know, it's not like, you know, she was psychic or something like that. I don't know. I honestly don't know why she called, but I know for a fact that at that moment I was pretty much at my lowest point that I had been in my life. And out of the blue, here's a friend reaching out to me and saying, hey, is everything okay? And it wasn't. But somehow it was easier just knowing that there was somebody who was aware. So let me wrap this up because I'm coming up on the end of the program here. But um, I don't know if you're the one who's struggling. I don't know if you're the one who, who needs someone to reach out. But if you are, can I just ask you, please don't harden your heart if someone reaches out because the chances are they're going to be clumsy. We don't always know the best way to to try to to be there for somebody. For most of us, we're pretty new at this. Now, if you're you know a professional counselor or something like that or a therapist, you you have an idea of here's the best way to approach it. Most of us we're rank amateurs, so be gentle if someone tries to reach out. You know if they see that you're having a hard time. But here's the flip side: for those of us who are aware of someone who's having a hard time. And I'm talking about maybe there's a friend whose name has popped into your mind inexplicably multiple times over the last, you know, few days or even even the last, you know, few hours. Don't dismiss it. Call them. Ask them. How are you doing? Just give them the reassurance there is somebody else aware of what's going on. And maybe you'll have some inspiration as to what else you can do. I'm not trying to make this complicated because it really is pretty simple. we got to be there for one another. And for those who are struggling, if you look around, someone has been sent to your assistance. Don't push them away. This is The Brian Hyde Show.